0: Our first reading is from Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word.
1: Thank you. The account in Luke. Chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, goes like this. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice! And shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, the holy, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived the Son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Blessed be the reading of the scriptures.
2: Amen. Thank you for those readings. I want to do a little um, word association game, I guess is what we can call it. I want you to, to tell me the antonym to what I'm about to say to each word. Antonym means opposite. If you haven't been to English class lately, it's been a while for me too. Up. Good. See, we got this. Hot. Fire. Oh, good. I was thinking water, but ice works. Anxiety. All right. So where we're going today in our sermon is anxiety. We started a series last week on peace. And um, those two readings you just heard um, were a similar story, but from two angles. Obviously, the one that Mike read was from the angle of Joseph. And the one that Mary read was from Mary, the mother of Jesus' angle, from Matthew and from Luke. Um, but as, as I was re- recounting the, the story of the birth of Jesus you know, weeks ago in preparation for this series, and we look at different people each week uh, to enter into how they found the peace of God, I looked at, the, at those particular readings of Joseph and Mary when they first found out the news that they were going to have a child. Both of them, in their own way, I think, experienced deep anxiety right away. Now, this is, this is not an earth-shattering comment. If any of you have had children, the minute that you hear that you're pregnant, I mean, you, you have a number of first emotions, I'm sure, but it doesn't take too long to get some anxious thoughts into your mind as well of all that is about to happen and all that's about to change in your life, all the responsibility that's now about to lay on your shoulders. And I just want to say that's not quite the anxiety that I see in Joseph and Mary. I'm sure they got to that point later, but that's not the part that's recorded in those two stories we just heard. The parts that I really was focused on was uh, the shock of how. Because both stories were very clear to say that they had not slept with one another they were they were betrothed they were they were to be married they were legally you know they were bound together and betrothed is what the Bible says but they they were not expecting to have a baby. This was not something that was possible with them and so just to go through just briefly here their story as kind of how I see anxiety as part of their life. Um, in the Matthew story, for instance, which tells the story from Joseph's perspective, it notes very clearly in verse 19 that Joseph was a just man, meaning that he, he lived his life rightly, according to the law and well. And so he, he knew that when she became pregnant, this was a social problem. And so he was going to quietly divorce her because he was a just man. He didn't want to bring shame upon Mary And so he desired or he chose to break the contract of being betrothed to Mary. And he wanted to divorce her quietly. But notice in verse 20, it says that as he considered these things. um, So he's he's already made the decision. He's going to divorce her. But he's considering these things. Meaning that he wasn't trying to make the decision. But he was thinking about it. It was hitting him like a ton of bricks, you could say. He was just sitting there. Soaking it all in, he was considering these things, thinking about the hard reality of what it was going to mean to not be with Mary anymore, because something had happened that that had messed that up. And that's when the angel appears to him in that heavy moment of deep thinking, what I would call anxious thoughts, anxious anxious consideration. This unnamed angel appears to him and tells him not to be afraid. Note that he says, "Don't be afraid." We're going to talk about fear next week in next week's sermon. So I'm going to punt on the fear part till next week. But what I'm focused on now is Joseph was, he was coming to grips with the change that had happened in his life, which I think is an anxiety-inducing experience. And then if you look at Mary's perspective from the Luke story that our Mary read from, um, It says in verse 26 that the angel Gabriel appeared to her. So the angel is named this time, a specific angel, which this is the angel that's mentioned in the prophet Daniel way back in the Old Testament, talking about the coming son of man. It's the same Daniel, the same Gabriel angel. So the angel appears to her and gives her this news that she's going to have a baby. Uh, actually, no, I'm sorry, not yet. He just, uh, he just appears to her and says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. He doesn't even give her the news about the baby yet. He just greets her and says, Hello, you're favored. Good to see you. And it says, verse 29, Just from that greeting, Mary is greatly troubled at the saying. Something about even just that greeting or that appearance of Gabriel, this famous angel from Daniel, that made her greatly troubled. And it said she was trying to discern immediately what the angel had said. So something about what the angel said troubled her right from the beginning. And so it, it doesn't say exactly what troubled her or which part of it. But I'm, I'm leaning into the part where it says that she's a favored one. Imagine a messenger of God appeared to you and said, hey, you're really special. It doesn't say anything else yet. I would kind of be troubled by that saying too. What do you mean I'm favored or special? What are you going to say next? She was confused and she was bothered by this. She was uncertain. She was, I think, anxious in that moment. And then the angel tells her not to be afraid. Again, same thing that the angel told to Joseph. Mary still has some follow-up questions that she needs answered. Um, But then the angel responds and says, you know, this this birth is not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. This is from the Holy Spirit. That's why you're favored. This is a gift from God. And then she accepts it and says, I am a servant of the Lord. So both Joseph and Mary both arrive at a place of obedience at the end of this short process for both of them. But they went through an anxiety-inducing moment, both of them. And the reason that I'm bringing that up from their little perspectives here, is the story takes off pretty quick after that. And we get into the birth of Jesus and the shepherds and the wise men and the whole narrative takes off. But let's not jump over the fact that in the birth story of Jesus himself, two human beings' lives were turned upside down. They were put into mental anguish for a short time or perhaps a long time as well. I'm sure there were other anxious moments that came about. But anxiety was right at the heart of the coming of the birth of Jesus himself. And so as we turn to you and me in the year 2023, sitting in this room, I'm sure I'm positive that you have gone through anxious moments, too. You may be in them right now. You may be anxious about how long this preacher is going to go on this morning because you got things to do. I don't know what's causing you anxiety today or what has caused you anxiety in the past or what will in the future, but anxiety is something we all go through. And so our first point is just to understand a little bit of anxiety. Then we're gonna look a little bit about what Jesus talks about because he brings it up quite a bit in his teachings. And then we'll finish this morning um, by looking at Philippians 4 and just a couple of practical things from Philippians 4. So first, let's just understand anxiety a little bit. Um, first, where does anxiety come from? And we can use the story of Joseph and Mary to help us and your own story. Let your own story come into this this first point as well. Um, anxiety comes from first, I think, unexpected circumstances that arise in our life. So again, Mary and Joseph, very unexpected circumstance arises. And so anxiety can come when things happen to you that you didn't foresee happening. And this this could be from little things to big things. It can be, um, you're sitting around your house one day and then your doorbell rings and someone shows up at your front door with um, a salad and they say, hi, I'm here for dinner. We've really been looking forward to tonight. And then you look at them and you say, oh, oh no, I forgot that I invited this person over for dinner and I have nothing prepared. And here they are at my front door. That's an anxiety inducing moment. Or it could be that you have, a lot, you have a lot going on at work, and then you start getting sick, and you're like, I don't have the energy to get all my work done that I need to get done, but, and I don't want to have this sickness right now. I can't have this, and it creates anxiety in you. Or you're on your way to an appointment, and you're driving in your car, and you're already a little bit late, and you turn onto the road, and you see orange cones and it's blocked because they're doing road construction on the road you need to go to. And you know you're going to be sitting there. And you're already late. And you got to get to your appointment. And now anxiety is part of your life. Unexpected circumstances that arise. These surprises that happen in life. You know, we, we talk about as a church here how we're a church of curiosity, community, and surprise. And that last one is kind of different. And we focus on you know, the, the huge positive of surprise that the gospel gives us. The hope of Jesus. But we also acknowledge that some, not all surprises are good surprises. And some surprises can really create anxiety in our life. And so that's why the, the good surprises are the ones that that give us hope and joy. But the bad surprises are the ones that push us into anxious moments. And Joseph certainly went through that in his story as well. Another thing that causes anxiety is just um, you know, when when you're uncertain about something that makes you then overwhelmed. So anxiety can come when things are confusing or not understood or complex. And then that makes you feel uncertain in your mind. And then you begin to feel overwhelmed about what you don't understand. So when you use the phrase, I just don't understand what's happening right now. It has a way of paralyzing us. We can't move because things are just overwhelming. So I'm sorry, I'm like, I'm I'm encouraging you to enter into my anxiety with me as we're going through these examples. You, You may feel anxious just by me talking about anxiety. But let me give you a really anxious example. Flashback to sixth grade math class. You're sitting at a desk and your teacher gives you a math test. And you look down at the problems and you have no idea how to answer them and you look around and everybody else is writing their answers down, they're going through their formulas and they look like they know what they're doing and you look back down at your paper and you say, I don't even know where to begin. That's an uncertain thought that creates an overwhelmed feeling that makes you anxious. It's a really helpless feeling. It can also be you know, seeing a real problem that you don't know how to fix. Like, You, know, you have credit card bills that are piling up and you, you just don't know how to pay off the debt. Or it can be, you know, being told something that is troubling or confusing to you. And you just don't know what, what the next uh, shoe to drop is. So for instance, let's say you're at work on a Friday afternoon. And your boss comes up to you at 3.30 in the afternoon and says, Hey, I need to see you first thing in the morning on Monday morning. Have a good weekend. It could be a really good surprise. It could be a really bad surprise. But it creates that anxiety feeling in you. And here's the thing that I notice about Joseph and Mary is anxiety can even come by doing the right thing. So again, Mary and Joseph, they hadn't done anything wrong. Their story, And sometimes you you haven't done anything wrong, and yet anxiety comes to meet you. So even doing the right thing in a world of wrong things can create deep anxiety. So if you do someone a favor or extend a helping hand to someone, um, that's a sacrifice to you. But it also may create some anxiety on you of things that you take on because you're doing the right thing. So again, Joseph, I go back to him in Matthew 1. It says... He did the right thing. He was going to be a just man and quietly divorce his wife. That's the right thing to do in Jewish culture. But you know it was killing him inside. He was considering these things heavily. It created anxiety because he knew he needed to do that. So this is, that's just a little bit of an out to say that anxiety is not always as a result of doing something wrong or sinning. It can be doing the right thing. And anxiety just comes because we live in a broken world. The last thing I'll say about anxiety, which is maybe very obvious, but it just needs to be said, is that anxiety is, is in your mind. It's mental, probably predominantly. It's a mental battle. Primarily, it's something that occurs in our thought life. We can walk around and look fairly normal. You know, our, our legs are healthy. You know, we're not obese or overweight. It's not, it doesn't show on the outside, but it's killing you inside, in your mind. It's between our ears and it can be debilitating. And notice that both Joseph and Mary, you know, the anxiety words that I brought out were as they were considering things or they were deeply troubled or they were, they were asking the how questions. It's, it's all mental things. And so these kinds of things are so commonplace in our world today. So let's just level the playing field right now And just acknowledge that probably if we knew the full story of what each person around us is going through, anxiety is probably there. I found just a couple of statistics that says at least least 19% of the U.S. population would have what's called an anxiety disorder, which is like a clinical disorder of anxiety. That's like the official. 19%, one in every five. Which means that your everyday person who doesn't have a disorder probably experiences anxiety on a regular basis, but hasn't been clinically diagnosed. Um, and so, again, you can find statistics pretty easily about the reality of anxiety. So let's move on then to, to how to understand anxiety from the perspective of the Bible and from Jesus. Um, let me, I'm going to read two, two short teachings by Jesus himself about what he says about anxiousness. Or anxiety. You've probably heard these, but let, let these be a balm for your soul now, medicine for your heart, even now. Jesus says this in Matthew six, twenty five to thirty four, on while he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous, most public sermon. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Easier said than done, Jesus, right? Let's see what he has to say after this. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet their heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? and your heavenly Father knows that you all need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The the second story is um, from Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. This is a story where... um, Jesus is, in, is hanging out with two women named Mary and Martha, who are the sisters of one of his best friends, Lazarus. And this is what it says. It says, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was very distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. She's anxious. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I use those two examples of those stories because they get to the heart of what Jesus sees about anxiety. And it's, When the New Testament uses the word anxiety, it's a particular Greek word that means to be apprehensive or to be unduly concerned. It's like, it's okay to be concerned about something, but don't be so concerned that it overtakes your life. So the examples of clothing or what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or, you know, should I serve or should I sit with Jesus? Like, it's okay to be concerned about these things, but don't be so concerned about them that they overtake your life. Things are worth worrying about, but things are not worth worrying about too much. So Jesus says that anxiety comes from having uh, priorities in your life that are over-worried. So again, it's good to know what you're going to wear. It's good to like, figure out something to eat. Those are good priorities in life, but don't be over-worried about them. But he also says you can have overprioritized worry, meaning that He says, is not life more than these things? So you can worry too much about certain things. It's not that it's bad to think about important things, but sometimes we simply overinflate the simple things in life. And so he points to Martha, and he says, Martha, you're very anxious about many things. So in both stories, Jesus instead focuses on one thing. And if you're an anxious person, or if you're dealing with an anxiety problem about a certain issue... This is a great example. Focus on one thing. Set your mind on the most important thing. This is what Jesus does in both examples. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all this other stuff will take care of itself. And then in the story with Mary and Martha, he says, One thing is necessary, Martha. Find that the Lord is your portion. And so for the last point, let's talk about how do we come out of anxiety then, biblically. Leaning into that one priority that Jesus points us to. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Having God be your, your portion, the one priority in your life. You know, being with him. Let's come to Philippians 4, which is printed in your bulletin. This, this, um, this passage is almost so direct and so clear that it's unhelpful. So I almost hesitate even to use it, but I do think it's helpful because it just gets us to a point. But don't hear this as a trite saying of just like, hey, do this and then you'll never have anxiety again. That's not realistic, but this is helpful, what Philippians 4 will tell us. What this is gonna introduce us to is that the truest antidote to anxiety is what our sermon series, this Advent is all about, the peace of God. The peace of God is the one antidote to any anxiety you go through in life. So let's see what Philippians 4 tells us about the peace of God. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We introduced last week that the peace of God is more so than just being calm. It's more than just being still. It's more than even just not being anxious. The peace of God is the wholeness of life, the fullness of life being put back together for you. If your life is a giant puzzle, then to have peace is to have all those pieces put back together. It's to have completeness and wholeness back. That's what the shalom of God is, the peace of God is. And so the only way out of anxiety then is to walk with the person of peace himself. So it says here that if uh, if you want the peace of God in verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Meaning that it will walk with you. It will protect you as you walk through your anxiety or your your difficulties in life. You see, anxiety makes us want to be depressed and filled with sorrow in life. It makes us want to live unreasonably or chaotically. It wants us to blame God for circumstances not going our way. But when we walk with the person of peace, the peace of God himself, Jesus we're encouraged to see that joy is a choice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He says it twice. He says joy is a choice you get to make. And he says, live. let your reasonableness be known by everyone, meaning that you can be others-centered. You don't have to live your life self-centered anymore, meaning that we trust our future to God and not to ourselves. We look to him who is the peace who surpasses all understanding. And again, I, even if you look at the story of Jesus himself on the cross or as he's walking to the cross, you see a man who endured anxiety himself, a man who was so anxious that he sweat drops of blood himself. And so the promise of the scripture is that the anxiety you're going through is not abnormal. But the promise of the scripture is that Jesus himself walked through anything that you've gone through, yet to the uttermost, to the extreme example, taking it on himself so that it doesn't have to be your final answer. And so Jesus took on your sin, yes, but he also even took on your anxious thoughts, your anxious moments, so that he could win for you the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So just a couple of practical things for your heart and mind before we take the Lord's Supper in just a moment. If you're an anxious mind or heart today, know that part of what the peace of God offers you is the right perspective of life, which again is a life of joy that we find in verse 4. That joy is a result of living life with a transformed perspective. That Nothing that you're going through, as difficult as it is, has to wreck your life. That nothing is too much for you because you have the peace of God in you through the person of Jesus. No circumstance or difficulty can ultimately shake you to the core. It has a limit to it because Jesus has overcome it for you. And therefore, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. It doesn't have to be your final answer. Whatever you're going through, it will pass. One day... At the latest, it'll be heaven. And hopefully it'll be sooner than that. But joy can be given to you now through a perspective of peace. Secondly, is a posture. And the posture is one of reasonableness or gentleness with the way you deal with people around you. So again, in your anxious moments or in my anxious moments at least, whenever I'm anxious, I tend to take that out on others in a chaotic way you know, blurting out things or being short or being bitter or being dismissive. And yet through the peace of God, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everybody. What does that mean? It Just means you can be gentle with people around you because you recognize through your own anxiety and your own anxious moments that other people are probably going through similar things. And so the peace of God that is given to you helps you understand other people when they're going through anxious moments as well. So be gentle and be understanding and be kind, just as Jesus has been gracious and kind and gentle to you in your anxiousness. And then finally, a practical thing is, again, just having that portion, that right portion. You know, Jesus said to Martha, You know, the Lord is your portion, He is the one you are to prioritize. And so, therefore, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, this means to trust every moment of your day, that God is enough for you in this moment. God is enough for you in this moment. You can turn to him in prayer and in thanksgiving and know that a God who knows how you're feeling and knows what you're going through actually hears you and actually understands you. And that's where I think this quote on the front of your bulletin really resonates and comes in. This is uh, A.W. Tozer who says, He says, when I understand that everything happening to me in life, everything that happens to me in life is to make me more Christ-like, that resolves a great deal of anxiety. That every good thing you go through, it's to make you more like Jesus. Every difficult thing you go through is to make you more like Jesus. Every hard thing you go through is to make you more like Jesus. Every anxious thing you go through is to make you more Christ-like. That... Itself resolves a great deal of anxiety, because that's evidence of the peace of God reigning in your life. It surpasses understanding. In the movie Frozen, which I watch with my kids, Olaf, Olaf the snowman, uh, there—it's one of the heightened part of the movies. Uh, Things are going out of control. He's getting anxious, this little snowman. And so he starts playing a little game with the children of the village. And he says, we call this controlling what you can when things feel out of control. You know, and when we come to the scriptures, we see things that we can control that when we're feeling our most anxious, we can actually control. And part of it is choosing joy. Joy choosing gentleness, reasonableness, choosing prayer, choosing a a heart of gratitude. And, and those are things that I've, I've gone through whenever I've been in anxious moments. It's like, okay, these are the last things I want to choose to do, but they are the antidotes to anxiety. It's what the peace of God gives you is the ability to step in and to find joy, even in the midst of anxiety itself, to be reasonable and to be a person of prayer. So, I'm just going to take you one step further, read two final verses, and this will lead us to the Lord's Supper. It's still from Philippians 4. I just didn't put them on this sheet. I apologize. But verses 8 and 9, he says this, After you experience the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, then Paul says, Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about those things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice those things. Why? And the God of peace will be with you. Lord, I pray for the peace of God that surpasses all understanding to be with each of us. I pray for the anxious heart and soul that's out there. I pray for the anxious heart and soul that's in me. That something from uh, the scriptures today would help us uh, to know where to go when we get anxious. That we can find things to dwell on, things to think about that lead us to the presence of the God of peace who is with us. So would you meet us now as we uh, take the Lord's Supper together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.